Hi there, and welcome to Talking Cars with Consumer Reports. I'm Tom Mutchler. I'm Jake Fisher. Gabe Shenhar. In this episode, we're going to answer your questions that you submitted through Facebook, and we're also going to address some YouTube comments. Ready to get started? No. Okay, sure. Oh, thanks. I, I appreciate it. Thank, thanks for helping out. First question from Judy Hill. Why do the MPG list get so off base? I have yet to come anywhere close to what mine says on the sticker page. Isn't it false advertising? Yes. No, it, 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 MPG, right, there's the EPA numbers that are on the sticker. And there's a city, and there's the highway, and they're not what you're going to get on in your city and highway travels. They're fixed, they're fixed schedules that the EPA tests, and they're actually somewhat dated in some ways, but they're not necessarily going to be what you get. Um, it's kind of difficult to see what they are because, like the highway, for instance, it's actually averages 48 miles per gallon. There's some stop and go miles and per some. Hour, yeah. Miles per hour, that's it. Miles per something, I got it. And they're done in the lab, not on the road. Well, they're in the lab, but I mean, the, the lab, I don't think is really the, the problem there because the lab kind of makes sure that, you know, it's the same air resistance and all those things, and it tries to make it very, very repeatable and very consistent. But the issue is it, your mileage will vary. Um, no one is able to tell you exactly what you're going to get on your travels yet. Are there some cars where I have a better chance? Um... Where it's going to be there's more some likely cars, being I, I would put it, there's some cars that are going to be probably more off. Um, we found that hybrids are generally more off. Um, diesels tend to be a little bit more off. Some of the small displacement turbos, they tend to be some more off. If you look at our numbers, the way we do it, a little bit different. Um, our highway numbers, we do a steady 65 miles per hour. If you're driving a steady 65 miles per hour, that's a pretty good indication of what you're going to get. And usually for city driving, we get a lower number than the EPA does because we have more of a realistic kind of a, a suburban, typical suburban kind of driving where sometimes you have to be uh, accelerate from 20 to 40, let's say, within 500 something feet. So that uh, requires some um, th uh, throttle opening. And there's one other variable in all of this. I mean, Judy's uh, her, her Facebook profile picture was a three, I think, a 350Z convertible. Are you stalking Judy or worrying? It's, it's, how, the pro, it's how the Facebook works. I mean, you, you see the picture. Does she have the top down when she's the doing the top was down. But here's the thing: if you have fun with the Go pedal, you're not going to get you're, well, you're not going to get the number. Here's how I would put it, and I, 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 I would categorize our numbers this way: we have two numbers. One we do with the city, our city cycle. We have our highway cycle, which is again a city 65. Your numbers may vary, but you're probably going to get somewhere between those two numbers. And I think Judy probably will get somewhere between the two numbers that we state. Okay. Next question from Lee Friedman. The good news, we got a great deal on a new Subaru Outback using the CR service as leverage. I'm glad to hear that. Our first new car in 25 years. The bad news, my wife got rear-ended and the car suffered significant damage but not enough to total it. Repairs look fine, but we're a bit paranoid about having problems down the road. We keep the cars until they die. Uh, the work's guaranteed, but should we bite the bullet and trade it in? Would you keep it or would you? You get a rear end collision? Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's hit, hit in the back. It's probably going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like... I'd keep it. I mean, it's not like uh, it's something that involves front suspension or anything like that. So uh, I think it's not pr unlikely that it uh, will become a problem over the years, but if it does, you always have the option of selling it, and it's a popular car, you'll, you'll get a good resale value on it. Yeah, I guess my only worry is the thing that I worry about being compromised is rust protection a little bit, just because you have it, it being repainted, but if they did a good job, take it to another body shop. Ask around, find a good body shop. Have them look at the work. If they think the car was pretty well done, I mean, yeah, we've owned cars that have had body work, and it, 
other parts fell apart long before the bodywork fell apart. Uh, talking about being rear-ended, next question from Laura Hager from Facebook. Why are current headrest designs so horrible? It's next to impossible for short folks like myself to find a headrest that doesn't force my head forward in a strange position. Was there some new government regulation that defeated comfortable driving positions? I say well, it was Obama. Uh, <laughs> I think Obama did it. Well, here's the thing. It's the uh, new IHS uh, test. The Insurance Institute the test. Insurance, thank you. So, uh, I mean, that uh, to, to do well in that test, it dictates that the head restraint, and it's a head restraint, it's not a headrest. Uh, the head restraint should be as close to the back of your head as possible to minimize whiplash injury. So that's what you're seeing. It's probably good for you, but it may be uncomfortable. There was a time around 2008, 2009, we were complaining about almost every headrest design. But I think some manufacturers are starting to get used to it, that, that you can adjust it, it, it ratchets, you can yeah. snap it back or push it forward. I think they've gotten better at it. And uh, to wit, uh, the, the freshened Chevy Traverse, for instance, I mean, when it first came out in 07, I think, mm -hmm. that was almost impossible. Yeah. yeah, and they totally fixed that. Yep. So, again, if you're shopping for a car, this is something you have to look for. This is something you have to try. The next question, actually, it's a YouTube comment about our first drive of Lexus IS. But before we get to that, what did you think of driving the IS? I thought it was better than the last one. I mean, I'm mostly roomier, and um, it still passes uh, for a Lexus in terms of ride and quietness. Um, it is trying to be a little sportier, and uh, it is it is because, I mean, basically, uh, it's... Um, it's built on um, rescaled uh, Lexus GS, which in our test was proved pretty pretty nice. So um, I think it's sportier to drive, but uh, whether or not that uh, puts it uh, on par with some of the um, big guns in this category, such as the BMW 3 Series, the Mercedes C-Class, the Audi A4, even the Cadillac ATS. It's got a it's got heavy it's competition. It's got some challenges. Uh, here is the comment we got. Um, in the in the video that I did, I uh, showed the instrument package. If you get the F-Sport, you get a cool instrument package. Here's the comment. That funky instrument package is from the LFAU Dolt. Can we get someone reviewing cars who's actually interested in cars? You know, he, he got us because we're always driving around the LFA so much. And we have all the footage from the LFA just hanging around. And accidentally, like before yeah. we were doing the, yeah. the Civic, that was it. right? And we had some LFA footage. So We keep screwing it up. I know. Heavy-duty truck, you see the LFA. <laughs> the LFA footage. I think it would be worth, worth mentioning the LFA is an exotic uh, Lexus that was sold for maybe a year and a half or so for $400,000. They built 500 they built, of them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, here's the thing. When Lexus came to show us, they, 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 companies come and they visit us and they, we see the marketing presentations for the IS. How many times did they say that that instrument package was LFA inspired? Oh, they plugged in the LFA about 400 times. Right. I, I decided not to be a robot and repeat the Lexus company line. But you know what? The guy got something right. I don't care about the LFA. It is 400,000. I know. I know. It's, it's okay. It, I'll, get, I'll get over it. You, you'll get over it. It is four hundred thousand dollars. It's very limited production. Show me what you can do for twenty-five grand. You know, that's where that's where I want to see a company do things. Because at four hundred thousand bucks, I'm buying a Beechcraft Bonanza. You know, and, and I can fly over in the Nurburgring a lot faster. <laughs> this thing can lap it. Our next question is another comment from YouTube. Actually, this one he has a valid point. Referring back to our lightning round of questions and answers when we talked about CVTs, his comment. The Nissan 3.5 and 2.5 CVT is quicker than the Honda CVT and all other midsize sedans, six and seven speed transmissions. What do you mean you won't like a CVT if you like gathering speed rapidly? 
Oh, it's not a question of quickness. Sure, I mean, CVTs can give you a 0 to 60 acceleration that's very quick. It's a question of, uh, of feeling, the character of the speed buildup. So if you have to accelerate, for instance, on a highway ramp or you're climbing a hill and you have a rapid rate of acceleration, uh, the sensation is that the engine makes the noise first and then you get the acceleration rather than the other way around. So you have you get a feeling that either the car is underpowered or it's just too noisy. But to be fair, the Altima is a pretty good CVT. The Altima is a, is a pretty good CVT, but, but Gabe is right. It's about the sensation. And if you want to compare things at wide open throttle, sure, maybe the Altima is better. But the point is, is that most people don't drive around at wide open throttle. If I get, get on that highway, do I have to floor it and I hear you know, or do I'm driving my Accord and it's going, you know? So mm -hmm. that's the sensation. Because that's what the Accord CBT does, is it, it keeps that. It, 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 keeps, it keeps the, it feels like it's not stressed. Mm -hmm. So it's that feeling and the sensation which is more important probably than the ultimate wide open throttle zero to 60 times. But to that end, I mean, th this, this viewer with his Altima, I mean, the Altima is a pretty good, good CBT. And it's helped, any transmission is helped by having more power. You know, it just makes things easier. CVTs really are bad when you're kind of low powered, like a Prius, you know, or a Prius V, or, or some Imprezas. You know, that's oh, when sure. You sure. I mean, having an engine with a lot of torque, like the 3.5 liter Altima, I mean, that masks most of the CVT shortcomings. Yeah, well, and it's a very light car. I mean, to that point, you put a four-speed automatic with that much power and still be pretty <laughs> satisfied. Probably, it'd probably be fine. Um, next question. When will Consumer Reports test SUV off-road ability? How does the Jeep Grand Cherokee compare with the Range Rover, FJ Cruiser, Xterra, et cetera? You know, and actually, this is a common question. We also got, why does nobody seem to test the off-road or at least dirt road capability of SUV and crossover type vehicles? Well, we do that on our, on our Rock Hill. Um, we actually just did the Grand Cherokee and it, uh, when it's equipped with the, uh, the terrain response, I want to call it. I know it's trademarked uh, to another yeah. car maker, but... Uh, <laughs> So forgive me, but uh, anyway, uh, it did pretty well. I mean, you have programs for sand, for rock climbing, and it just figures out the algorithm for the traction control and whatnot, and it does it for you. But I mean, a crossover. Are, are there crossovers that are better than others off-road? Well, a lot of it comes down to tires, quite honestly. Um, if you want to talk about, I mean, there's off-road, we do the rock hill and things with low ranges. I mean, he's kind of getting into, like, well, I got a dirt, dirt road, road and, and it's I got muddy the, and there's tree branches. Mm -hmm. Right, and exactly. And then, you know, there's things that, you know, a Miata probably could do pretty well with. But, I mean, when you talk about that kind of traction, it really, a lot of it does come down to with the tires that are equipped. You're talking about drill traction. And, um, you know, you can go put on some, you know, all-terrainy tires that'll kind of screw up the braking and the handling on the other time. And, you know, it, it's difficult. I mean, there are some companies that try a little more than others. I mean, we've done some off-roading with a Subaru XB Crosstrek. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it, it hangs in there pretty well. And, and Jeep, you know, that's one of the things they're touting with their new Cherokee, is that that will have some more off-road capability. And the Subaru Forester, they have this X mode that uh, allows you to do some more off-roading. You get to push a button. Yeah, and it's too bad that it's only available on the Turbo or the Limited. It's only on really upper trim yeah. models. Right. When it's, it's just a cheap, they just reprogrammed yeah. the software. software. Yeah. yeah. Our last question, you know, sometimes we get a question over and over again, and, and it's simply a need that you know, we have to satisfy for customers. And, and Jake, I think you can help me out with this one. Here's the question. Nissan 240SX with the RB26DT <laughs> versus Celica with the JZ. In a drag race, which would win? <laughs> People need to know. Yeah. Um, 
people often don't go to Consumer Reports for this kind of data, and, and honestly, I can't answer that. Um, mostly because I don't know what model Celica is talking about. I mean, for the RB motor, that's a wonderful motor. I mean, a lot of people do swaps to JDM motors. They fit right in. Um, I personally, on my S13, I put in a, uh, I didn't do the SR20 DT, which is a really popular swap. I actually did a KE DT, which is a really nice swap if you do the C32 so fuel. And of course, you know, put the FMIC in. Oh, there's so many letters. Well, of course, I, I, JDM is Japanese domestic market. And, and an uh, S13 is a 240SX that was... 91? And that is the, uh, the first generation of this 240 SS. There's the yeah, S14 anyway. and the S15, which wasn't imported. I think the answer is whichever one is modified better. <laughs> either one of these engines, it's, it's either a Skyline motor or a Super motor, <laughs> Supra motor. You can tweak the boost to, you can get a thousand horsepower out of them. The answer is the one that doesn't blow up first. <laughs> So, that's going to finish it for this episode. A little preview of next episode. You know, a lot of people think that all that we do at Consumer Reports is bitch and gripe about cars. We have, oh, which is, sorry, it's pretty much it. Anyway, uh, the next episode, I think it might surprise you. And that's all I'm going to say. But for now, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>